Good morning. Um, I'm going to be reading from Proverbs chapter 4, uh, verse, uh, starting from verse 20. Uh, it will be up on the screen, but I'd love to encourage you to open up your own Bibles if you've brought one or on uh, your device as well. Verse 20. My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path for your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen closely to my understanding so that you may maintain discretion and your lips safeguard knowledge. Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil, In the end, she's as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps straight to Sheol. She doesn't consider the path of life. She doesn't know that her ways are unstable. So now, sons, listen to me and don't turn away from the words from my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Otherwise, you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources and your hard-earned pay will end up in a foreigner's house. At the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed and you will say, how I hated discipline and how my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my instructors. I am on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. time it right, that beat works to the beat of my feet as I walk up. Um, my name is Mike, uh, lead pastor here at TAC, and uh, great to have you here this morning, and a special hello to those who are new among us. We love having new people here. Uh, today, today I'm going to speak from a range of Proverbs. I almost can't preach on Proverbs without hitting three chapters of this and many other Proverbs scattered throughout. I'm preaching on the topic of the sanctity of sex in marriage, and in particular, avoiding adultery. Now, I've been praying for three groups of people here today. Uh, Those who Solomon is trying to guard from falling into sin in this area. Secondly, those who have fallen in this area. 
and three, those who have been affected by the failure of another. I'm very aware that each group's going to hear this sermon quite differently. It's okay to have an emotional reaction to the parts of today. At parts, it will be raw. Uh, Should that happen, I want you to feel safe here. And by that, I also want to say, let's not pry into what's happening in the lives of others unless they invite you to. Uh, Let's not be quick to judge, but as a community, continue to hold out the grace of Christ to one another. Now, why would I want to speak on this? I don't know if I want to necessarily, but I'm committed to preaching the Scriptures as the Word of God, as words of life, and I really do believe that no matter what has happened in your past in this area, that today is part of your journey in knowing Christ more and His grace. Let me tell you where we're going. Um, so that if there are moments that feel raw, you sort of know that there is, um, you know, a direction. So, uh, firstly, I'm going to speak about the path to adultery, uh, which might seem like a strange kind of way of framing this up, but I'm following Solomon's lead here. Uh, I'll I'll do the slides. Um, uh, It it might seem like a strange way way to frame this, because I'm just just following Solomon's lead here. Uh, Solomon, as he he outlines Proverbs, and as a reminder back to our introduction to Proverbs, Proverbs is very concerned, not, not about some intellectual wisdom, but a wisdom that's lived out. And as he pleads with his son to listen to him, he actually speaks very practically about what it looks like to avoid adultery. He does not want his son or us to be unaware of the nature of his heart that might lead us to places that we do not want to go. And so accordingly, he actually lays out a number of steps, and I'm going to follow his lead. Secondly, I'm going to speak about how God responds to the real problem of our heart in grace. And then thirdly, I'm going to speak to the path out of sin in wisdom and righteousness. Now, it's not going to be a short talk. It's been my longest talk so far, I think, in my time here at TAC. But I believe that if this is a topic we're going to speak to, I need to do it well, pastorally and sensitively. And so to that end, let me pray. Our Father of all mercy and righteousness, minister to us this morning. May we be so captivated by Jesus that you both fill and guard our hearts so that we might find in him sufficiency for all things. Amen. Now, keep your scriptures open. We're going to be looking at chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7. Uh, as I said, I you know, almost can't uh, preach Proverbs and not do this. Uh, they'll appear on the screen at different points, but do, I do encourage people to keep their Bibles open, a way to hold me accountable. I'm not going to do Q&A after this, um, but I will encourage you to be using the QR codes to put questions through, and I'm doing that just to kind of protect the, sort of, the, the, sort of the safeness of this place, because people are going to have very different kinds of questions, uh, no doubt. Um, how should we listen to this? That's a key sort of uh, question as we, as we move into this, um, because you would have noticed that in the reading that, that Solomon, the author of this part of Proverbs, characterizes uh, a particular woman uh, who sort of becomes a character in this as a temptress. Uh, now, we must see her as a character in this story of wisdom, not as a lens to judge women. That's a very important statement. For the alluring woman is the opposite of lady wisdom. Lady wisdom through Proverbs is someone we're to cherish and kind of to aspire to, to long for. Uh, this, this, and I say this because I don't want us to cast assertions on any woman, uh, but, but Solomon is actually pleading for us as we take part of being one of the sons, whether you're a male or female, you know, before Solomon, listening to his wisdom, to take responsibility. So the woman is, not, is set up not that we would cast aspersions towards any women, but that we would listen to Solomon's wisdoms and take responsibility for our actions. 
Now, we're called to read this and identify with the Son. So whether you're a woman or male, um, we're all kind of sitting before Solomon, before God's Word here. Uh, and uh, we are called to a path to, of wisdom to reject the fool, and in this case, sin that leads to sex outside of marriage. Uh, now, as I've said, um, it, Solomon's going to be quite practical, speaking through sort of not, not just a simple commandment of do not commit adultery. He's going to speak to, uh, you know, the steps that he wants his son, wants all of us to avoid, because wisdom is about knowing how the world works and how to live well in God's world. And uh, Solomon wants us to be aware of how our heart works. Isn't it interesting that our heart, and I've heard it described like this, has tentacles, uh, it, it latches onto things. Uh, it's a desirous machine. And we should be, we should be critical of how our heart works. Um, I think um, I came across this quote that sums it up quite well. Uh, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. Do you know how you love to think how clever you are and how rational you are and how you've arrived at your well-formed conclusion? Your heart arrived that way earlier, uh, and you're just catching up. Uh, that's a quote from um, a historical theologian who, who kind of gleaned that from a theology behind the Anglican prayer book. Super nerdy, but a really interesting anthropological insight. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. It's not enough to simply constrain the passions of the heart, of our desires, with mere willpower. And so you're not going to hear from me today, just stop it. Well, actually, you are going to hear that, but you're going to hear more than that. Because we must renew our love, and there is only one who is able to renew us sufficiently, and that is Christ. Now, with all of that in mind, let us begin, because the first, part, the first step in our path to avoiding adultery and in understanding how we might end up there is step one, that we would forget God's covenant it's a bit meta and maybe a good way to sort of ease our way into it. But uh, this is what Solomon says in chapter 2, listening closely to wisdom, he says, because it will rescue you from a forbidden woman, from a wayward woman with her flattering talk, who abandons the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death, and that is destruction. Now, remember I spoke in the introduction to Proverbs about how we are to put on these gospel goggles, uh, almost like a covenant goggles, that when you put on the lens of the gospel, you might see the whole world anew. And to quote C.S. Lewis from that same sermon that I'm referring to, he said, our every encounter with someone else is part of a journey towards our most glorified selves, or their most glorified selves, or their most nightmarish self. When we put on these gospel goggles, we see everything anew. So no longer do we see a mere sexual opportunity. It is nothing like that. In fact, it's a path. And we need to know where that pathway might lead. Uh, it might lead to adultery. And so uh, we should be sensitive. And that begins with uh, renewing ourselves in the covenant of God. Uh, that covenant is a, is a way that God refers to his promises made to his ancient people about how he will be their God and they will be his people. And he framed up uh, a way to live in that covenant relationship. We now live in a covenant of grace because of Jesus. And when we put these covenant lenses on, we re-see, we reframe. And so the people, for instance, in the camera of the pornographic lens are actually actors with a purpose, a system of exploitation, people who need love and need grace, not our lusting eyes or hearts. Do not forget God's covenant. 
That is our beginning. We must see all things under God as we are called to love him and others as he loves them. Step two is to be unaware of the fire. Solomon writes in Proverbs 6, Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on burning coals without scorching his feet? So it is with the one who sleeps with another man's wife. Uh, this is a heart posture. You know, before really starting on the path, you've already started on the path. I remember listening to a young man who was a fool. Uh, this was a pastoral conversation uh, many years ago. He said, it's not a problem until it becomes a problem. What a foolish statement. Because he was unaware of the fire. It catches quickly. We must be far more vigilant than unaware in this area. And as we see, the path accelerates very quickly. Fear God and seek his wisdom in all things. Get your heart right so that you might listen to his wisdom. Step three, dwell on discontentment. Solomon writes in Proverbs 5, the, part, the end of the passage that, uh, that we read, uh, thanks Chloe, uh, comes after, it's verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well, take pleasure in the wife of your youth, he goes on to say in verse 18. Now one of Solomon's antidotes to help keep us on the path of wisdom is to enjoy one's marriage. Now I'm going to return to this at the end because it's more complicated than that for a whole range of reasons, including a bunch of us aren't married. Um, and so we'll need to speak to that well and pastorally. Uh, but Solomon, at least, let's at least say, is very aware of the petri dish of discontentment that allows the rapid growth of festering foolishness and sin. I read this week that some people uh, are an affair waiting to happen. I feel I did, I'm, just, I'm uncomfortable with that phrase. But let, let me go on to say why the, this, uh, that this author said that. Uh, due to societal pressures, you know, for instance, promiscuity is good, affairs are healthy and natural, or the condition of the marriage, you know, it, it's, marriage can be difficult. Um, and say, for instance, in those first two to seven years where there's tension unresolved, or there's midlife kind of crisis, or empty nesting, all those seasons are difficult in marriage. Um, young children, I might add to that as well. Uh, personal struggles, uh, poor parental role models, self-indulgence, hatred of feeling trapped, poor self-image, depression, midlife crisis, all of these factors sow into uh, what this author will describe as an affair waiting to happen. Now, uh, I, I don't like the kind of uh, the negativity of, of that, but let us be sensitive to our heart. Let us be aware of our station and take it to the Lord to openly seek his counsel from him and from trusted others. Discontentment is a disaster. Uh, for this reason, actually, and for the sake of the strains of COVID and merely everyday life, uh, I just want to give you a bit of a heads up that Kel and I are keen to run a marriage course later this uh, next term. Um, but also, a comment just for those who are um, unmarried. Uh, I want to enthusiastically promote something called Single Minded, uh, a conference that my friend Danny Truick runs, um, who is blessing thousands of people who aren't married. This is a conference for married people as well. That mean what we might live uh, uh, intimacy well, not just sexual intimacy, or not, not particularly that we might live as single people or otherwise, that we live well. And there's a whole range of things like this, uh, whether it be uh, marriage courses or conferences like this, or just the way we talk to one another that are critical to actually unmasking uh, discontentment and to speak life where we feel discontent. But to ignore discontentment is to continue down a terrible path. 
And step four is to put yourself in a foolish place. Proverbs 7, I noticed among the youths, a young man lacking sense, crossing the street near her corner. He strolled down the road to her house at twilight in the evening, in the dark of the night. It's such a type scene, isn't it? It's a, that is a scene that you kind of are familiar with uh, by sort of a cliche, and you can almost write the next part, what happens next. Uh, Solomon is, of course, speaking about putting yourself in a foolish situation without care. And it could be something as, you know, you're, you're tired and you know you should go to bed, but you'll just put on some mind-numbing Netflix, uh, you know, the 2 a.m. Uh, kind of session, but perhaps watching dubious content. Uh, that, that is putting yourself in a foolish situation. Or perhaps, um, you know, if, if you're at a work party where, where, where you're aware of another person who's caught your attention, there's lots of alcohol and opportunity, that is putting yourself in a foolish situation. Now, we're never going to be a, a completely able to avoid these moments. Our favourite movies have more and more sexual content in them. Uh, the opportunities are always going to exist, but we need to be aware of the type scene that we are in and not be unaware. Now, some of us who might be more prone to this path, for example, uh, you know, if you find yourself uh, watching content that's just really unhelpful or flat-out sinful, you just need to cut it out. You, you need to put in better rhythm, so stop watching stuff at 2 a.m. in the morning. What's happening in your heart? Address your heart. Change the situation. Don't drink if you find yourself that drinking uh, so reduces your inhibition uh, that you might tread down this path. For it is too easy to become aware of the other. And by that I mean someone who has captured your attention and you're keen for the second look or the second visit. Where there is a growing awareness of a particular person, it is too easy to let occasional th thoughts turn to fantasy. This is serious stuff, and it gets more serious, because the next step is to lust at beauty. Solomon says here in Proverbs 6, Don't lust in your heart for her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyelashes. Now, lust is that kind of uh, that intensive and often sexual desire that seeks to gratify oneself. Lust is always negatively used through Scripture, and it is not used to describe sexual intimacy. No, far from it. It's a dehumanizing uh, a, a sort of feeling. It, it pervades our thinking and, and takes hold of another and objectifies them for your own gratification. What we find now, perhaps more and more, is that in these days of uh, sort of consent is enough, that it's, it's celebrated to, to lust for each other. And that's seen as okay. I want to say there we, we at least need to consent for anything less is rape, really. Uh, but we're called to more than consent, to break out of a culture that lusts after each other. In this kind of culture, pornography is something to be celebrated as an educational tool, as, a, as something that everybody does. Friends, this is not the way it should be for us. Pornography is, maybe if we drill into it for a moment, is a tricky topic because the statistics say that uh, almost everybody uh, outside the church is engaged regularly in it, but the statistics inside the church are not much better. If you are dabbling in this space, you are not just dabbling. You are playing with fire and you are dishonouring God 
And if you're married, you're dishonoring your wife or your future wife. Right? Now, we shouldn't just say wife, actually, because it's not just a male thing. You must stop this. Now, again, we're called to listen to the wisdom of Solomon because as we lust for her beauty and see the way that kind of Solomon puts this, the way we let her captivate us, the way we let such a person fill our hearts, the next step is to listen to longing. Proverbs 7, this is the woman speaking. So I came out to meet you, to search for you, and I found you. I've spread coverings on my bed, richly colored linen from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed. Let's feast on each other's love. Now this gets more intense because now we're in the emotional realm, the realm of emotional intimacy, where such an expression of love is so easily celebrated. This is the moment of engaging beyond uh, a distance, beyond sort of a physical uh, sort of encounter uh, or proximity. It's the moment of intimacy, passion, and even the climax of a longing. As I've said, I'm glad we speak about consent uh, as a society, but we've got to be... Ve- this, is, this is dangerous, dangerous territory. When you're actually listening to another person's longing for you and you're entertaining that... What's happening here? You've got to understand what part of the story you're in. Look how far in to the path to adultery we are in at this point. This is the moment where regular communication begins and the content of that communication becomes more personal. And you find that your satisfaction in each other is building a bridge to the next step. And it happens very quickly. Step seven, you follow impulsively. That's what happens in the next part of the story from Proverbs chapter 7. He follows her impulsively. It's like he can't help. He's listened to her longing. He's so filled with a sense of, this is beautiful, this is good. I feel desired, I'm wanted. And if you've moved through step 6 without question, the previous step, uh, without counsel from the wise, without turning around, without slamming on the brakes, without seeking God and others to speak life into your life, then these steps happen quickly. This is this scene in the movie where there's sexual tension, electricity. But it's not a beautiful romance scene. It's your life heading towards the next step because you enter her house. And Proverbs 7 is where Solomon pleads that his son would not do that because he says her house is the road to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Now, when you put your gospel covenant goggles on, you see not an opportunity, not a beautiful woman. Instead, it sort of feels like a bit like I've just started watching um, Stranger Things. You, you see the kind of, uh, you might not get that because you might not be into that, but uh, you might see that there's an upside-down world where this is not beauty, but there is darkness. We must see the fuller picture because this is the moment when lust has been so overwhelmed that those involved embrace in sexual intimacy. And what at first might be considered sinful and naughty, and sometimes that's part of the excitement, can often be reframed as love, authentic, beautiful, but in the end you will always find destruction and regret. And I find the next words, some of the hardest words in Proverbs on this topic. It's framed as kind of someone looking back at all of this. Solomon wants his son, wants us to see that. He says, now sons, listen to me, otherwise... Picking up in verse 11, at the end of your life, you will lament. 
when your physical body has been consumed and you will say how I hated discipline and how my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my instructors. Uh, I am now on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. This is not a private sin. This is a destructive sin that has already eaten up your heart through the steps beforehand, but now has manifested in a relationship that shouldn't be with another. And now that destruction affects all kinds of other relationships, families, community. In adultery, the marriage covenant is broken. And destruction is is for all involved. Now, Jesus affirms the seriousness of this when he speaks to this topic in Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Now, for regular punters, you know what he says next, (laughs) and it's not pretty. He actually affirms the seriousness of every step prior to that when he says, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he's so serious, he says, if, you, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, just a kind of caveat there. Um, he, he's not asking you to literally gouge out your eye, but he is asking you to do whatever it takes to stop it. The intent is serious, even if it hasn't led all the way to adultery. It is offensive to God and is eating away at you. Jesus wants more for you. Take drastic action because we have a covenant problem. And yes, adultery is a covenant problem. It breaks the covenant between two. But we all have a covenant problem because I think when Jesus speaks to this, we realize that actually we're all got a problem here. Not just men, not just young men. We all have a problem with lust. So what do we do with that? I told you this sermon would be, would be hard going at points. I'm just going to pause for a moment to kind of let you catch your breath a bit. What are we going to do from here? Well, our journey back or out of this does not begin with us. I was reminded as I was preparing this over the last few weeks, I've spoken to a number of people and prayed much and prepared much. I was reminded of uh, one of the latter prophets in the Old Testament. So somewhere between Proverbs in the middle of the Old Testament, oh, at a marriage as it were, they've been promiscuous. They've been having an affair with other gods, with the idolatry that has manifested in their life. And God is, has before him the option to divorce Israel, for they broke the covenant in their adultery, or to pursue another way. Instead, he says to them, after he laments and after he expresses his anger at their adultery, he says, I will persuade Israel and speak tenderly to her. And God pursues this second route to renew the covenant. But central to the renewal of that covenant, to taking Israel back, to be a wife in righteousness, justice, love and compassion, for that's what he calls them to be, but they are not, central to that renewed covenant is that he will change their heart. Because they are unable to do that. They have broken the covenant, they are lost in their sin, 
But in his love for them and in his pursuit of them, he promises to change their heart that will one day come about through the Holy Spirit. And friends, we are in that age. We have the Holy Spirit available to us. And friends, repentance, um, repentance is, is about turning away from sin and turning to righteousness, justice, love and compassion. But, but it's more than that because it's not just a change of behavior, it's a change of heart. Repentance is turning in the power of God's love that relentlessly draws us to himself so that we would say no to our old self and that we would enjoy a relationship with God. It's that expulsive power of a new affection in God's love, kind of that, that kind of overwhelming kind of thankfulness for his faithfulness to his covenant. And it's so expansive that the grace of Christ overwhelms us that we would hate that which dishonors him. And this is how the Puritans talked about it, that the kind of the expulsive power of a new affection, that our love for Christ would be so overwhelming that it would, would push out that which dishonors God. And so, yes, we, we reframe the world. We, we kind of see things differently, not an opportunity, but, an, but lust and that which dishonors God. And, and we, want to, we want to turn away from that. We want something better. We have so become enamored by God's vision of his love for people that we want to pursue that. We see the goodness of that. And because we sort of actually distrust our heart, we're not just living by our heart alone, we're living for God, we at times will have to distrust our feelings, even if they say that is good, and reframe that because we live for Christ and we long for His transformation of us, not just the satisfaction of our feelings. Friends, it's more than willpower. It is a renewed love in God. Now, I'm not going to go back through all of the steps um, to sort of speak about how this now speaks into the wisdom of moving out of sin uh, towards righteousness, but I will say a few things. And the first is that for those that are in Christ, whatever you have done, you are washed clean in the blood of Christ. And so Paul will say in 1 Corinthians, when he's speaking specifically about sexual immorality and a bunch of other sins that do not belong to the people of God, he says, some of you used to be like this, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And in the refuge of His mercy and in the power of His Spirit that He's freely given to us because of His love for us, we now have the courage to pursue righteousness. We have the courage to actually own our failings and be open with our God about them. And we might have the courage to actually confess our sins towards others and own the implications of our failures. Now, I want to add to this a special word. If you've been made to feel ashamed or have suffered because of the actions of another, Yes, you are washed clean too, but you are also precious in the sight of God. You're going to need to keep believing that you really are precious. For you are not to be made ashamed, to feel ashamed because of what someone's done for you, but you are to delight in the special heart of God that he has for the marginalized, the downtrodden, the abused, 
Trust in his tender word for you and his delight in you as he reforms you and remakes you because of that which has been done to you that has dishonored him. He calls us out of shame and he calls you by name into his embrace. The second thing I want to say, and this could be a whole sermon in itself, can trust be restored? Well, Forgiveness means naming the sin, first and foremost, doing real business. And in the case of adultery, it means staring into the brokenness of the marital covenant. That is, adultery really does break the marital covenant, the breaking of vows that you made. Now, God might lead you both into reconciliation, but that would not be automatic, nor would it be easy. Rebuilding trust takes time, and the one who committed adultery really has to own their sin and demonstrate a change in heart and be incredibly patient while the spouse is triggered, and often repeatedly so, over many years for various things that has been done to them, and in various ways has to process their anger. Now, rebuilding trust really does mean going back to basics, and it will take time. This is definitely a category that requires counselling, because it's a long road from adultery to reconciliation. Third, accountability. Now, whether you've committed adultery or travelled partway down that road and Jesus is speaking to you, and I want to say specifically if you're wrestling with pornography, cut off opportunity where you see it. Stop looking at porn. You are cultivating an adulterous heart, dishonouring God, the women involved, and those in your life. Put in accountability bumpers. Addiction is is a tricky thing. Your heart with its tentacles has, has grabbed onto things, leading you into ways that you might not want to be, and yet you've wired your brain accordingly to desire after these things, and you're going to need help to unwire that. And so accountability as kind of like, you know, almost like sort of forcing willpower as it were, has, has a place. It's not going to be the solution, but to have people around you who are helping you to shine light into the cracks in your heart is a powerful thing and a good thing. And I would hope that we all have people in our lives that we can call upon to speak about any range of things that are deep and hard. But that is the power of discipleship and it's courageous conversations like this with a trusted brother or sister that helps us Live out the changed heart that God has given you by His Spirit. I've written up a short one-pager guideline for accountability partners. If you'd like that, um, let me know. We're heading towards the end. I know it's been a big sermon, but I want to speak about a couple more things. Friends, you've got to listen and look in renewed ways. I've mentioned this a couple of times through the sermon. I just want to say it again, that you're going to have to continue to be captivated by Christ that we might so love him that, that we will see everything in you. So choose to see a sister made in the image of God, not an opportunity, not an object of lust. And again, let's flip that around so it's not just, uh, I'm picking on males here, see a brother made in the image of God, not just an object of lust. And particularly perhaps uh, sort of, um, you know, it, it, one of those steps was about emotional connection. Be careful about that. See a brother in Christ. Choose to find your belonging in him and his people and his purposes for your life, not in the seductive whispering of another. Seek contentment 
Oh, we've got to keep practicing this one. Seek contentment. If you're married, comparison will kill you. Enjoy the wife of your youth or the husband of your youth. You must cultivate what you have and take the journey that you have together, that you've promised to enjoy. And your, your particular journey might be windy for a whole bunch of reasons. But when I'm sitting down with um, couples doing marriage preparation, I say embrace that journey because it's yours and yours alone. And there'll be power in the story that you create together, even if it is windy. Marriage is not your saviour and nor is sex. Learn to grow patience, communicate feelings, love sacrificially, seek counselling if you need it. To the unmarried, in a sex-saturated world, singleness can be difficult. And while Paul does speak of finding contentment in every situation, uh, referring specifically to singleness and, and married life, and he also says, or he says, remain as the Lord has called you, can I ask of us all, what kind of normative narratives do we create in this church? That is, this is not a family service unless we're talking about being in the family of God. But when we refer to this as a family service, and I don't see that written on the boards, but when we think like that, I don't think we do a service to those who are unmarried, who would want kids but don't have kids. Friends, for the sake of this, we need to keep pursuing the beauty of non-sexual intimacy in the family of God, doing real relationships, not just friendships. I can't manufacture friendships, but we, we do have brothers and sisters in the Lord together. And let us pursue a non-sexual intimacy as we do real life with one another, whether you're married or otherwise. Because real friendship and connection uh, that doesn't idolize marriage as the epitome of intimacy will help guard many against the secular narrative that sex is the saviour. We've reached the end. Friends, let us live in the light and love and life of God. For as the psalmist says, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And as Jesus himself will say, he is the way, the truth, the life, and he'll say the resurrection. And so if you are feeling slayed by things that have been brought up today, well, take up your cross, because Jesus is in the business of resurrection. He has spoken words of life to you this morning, even if they are hard words. And I'm going to pray in a moment that God would speak those words of life into us, that that kind of power of, of a new affection would be expulsive and push out all that dishonors him, and that we might pursue him, captivated by the love of Christ above all. Um, but what I am going to do is I'm going to just create a moment. I know it's been a long sermon, but I just, before we just keep going with the service, I want to create kind of a couple of minutes just to, to pause and to reflect. Uh, and you've got the QR codes in front of you. I do want to create space if you want to actually ask a question or if you want to seek some kind of counsel or, or if you're new and you're like, hey, I'm new here. <laughs> Interesting. Um, uh, then please use those QR codes um, to actually put something through. They'll be confidential and the pastoral team uh, will respond to you. Um, but I also want to say, just sort of as we're doing a bit of sort of business at the end of the talk, that uh, if you're a couple here this morning 
don't overread the awkwardness after the service. <laughs> that is, if you don't even know where to begin a conversation around this just because it's overwhelming, uh, don't read a sort of quietness and awkwardness as, okay, what's, what darkness is there? <laughs> um, just give each other space. Um, in fact, let's give us all each other space over uh, morning tea. But um, let's just have kind of a couple of minutes of reflection that God might speak his words of life into us. Father, thank you that we can come into your presence. No matter what we've done or what we think of ourselves, you have embraced us in Christ and in his mercy. Father, gather up the pain that we might feel, perhaps by those that have inflicted their sin upon us. And Father, take our sin that sits heavy upon us, that we would so want to hide in the darkness. But you call us out, Father. You call us into a better life. You are making us anew. And so do a work in us this morning, that your Holy Spirit might be set on fire in our hearts, that we might be so captivated by you and your love for us and your vision for us, that we might learn to hate everything that stands in the way of being made new in Christ. So, Father, fill us with courage this morning. Fill us with a renewed sense of righteousness given to us in Christ, that we might live for you and you alone. Amen.